This week, Teva, Endo, Malincrot report disappointing results amid opioid saga. Nighthead file term sheet detailing rights offering to support PG&E plan to come. More on all this, and as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Welcome to the Week in Reorg. Hello, and welcome to the Reorg podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skelding, reporter for Reorg in New York. And I'm Mark Fisher. Later this episode, LADAM team lead Kyle Owusu and LADAM corporate credit analyst Brandon Liu discuss developments in legal disputes involving Venezuela, Oro Negro, and QGOG construction. It's Sunday, August 11th. Pharmaceutical companies and generic-focused manufacturers Teva, Endo, and Mallinckrodt all reported largely disappointing results as generic competition continues to pressure financials, certain branded drugs within companies' portfolios weaken, and the industry continues to deal with the negative headlines from the ongoing opioid litigation saga. Teva CFO Michael McClellan indicated the company was entering the 2019 revenue, quote, trough he had predicted quarters ago. Quote, this year will be the lowest year in terms of operating profit, he said. McClellan added that Teva will seek to refinance approximately $2 billion to $3 billion in maturities at a time when the capital markets are, quote, friendlier to the company as the publicity from both the opioid and the price-fixing litigation has had a big effect on the company's spread. Mallinckrodt's management disclosed last week that it was suspending for now its previously announced plans to spin off its specialty generics business. Management said on an earnings call that it is now revisiting, quote, a range of options intended to ultimately lead to the separation of the specialty generics business, including a possible sale. Mallinckrodt added that its revised expectation that HP Akthar Gel fiscal year 2019 sales would be, quote, unlikely to exceed $1 billion was driven in part by reimbursement pressure. Payers are also exercising a greater degree of scrutiny on specialty pharmaceutical products, the company said, putting downward pressure on both new and returning Akthar patients. Endo reported a 10% year-over-year decline in the second quarter for its generics business, primarily because of, quote, anticipated competitive pressures. For Endo, that means not, quote, playing in areas where we're going to have five, six, seven players. So we're taking a very, very disciplined approach to products that we bring to market, said CEO Paul Campanelli. Endo added some commentary on the opioids, saying that opioid litigation, quote, does not impede its ability to execute business development strategy. And on the opioids litigation front, Judge Dan Polster took under advisement the amended motion filed by cities and counties seeking approval of a nationwide negotiation class for the purpose of negotiating and settling with defendants that conduct opioids manufacturing, sales, or distribution. Concluding a hearing on last Tuesday morning in the opioid multi-district litigation pending in the Northern District of Ohio, Judge Polster said he would, quote, endeavor to come to a decision as quickly as possible. In response to an attorney who warned of the dangers of a potential overall settlement between the defendants and the political subdivisions that did not include the states, the judge said that, quote, no defendant in its right mind would settle the claims of the cities and counties without settling with those of the state's attorney general. No one is going to settle piecemeal, okay? Any settlement is going to be with the attorneys general and with the cities and counties, he added. Another busy week in earnings, in addition to Endo, Malincrad, and Teva that we discussed before, Frontier Communications, in its earnings report, reduced cash flow guidance by almost 50% as it continues to, quote, evaluate the capital structure, including considering, quote, strategic alternatives. 
Dean Foods reversed course and said it now expects to report negative free cash flow in its fiscal year, reflecting continued volume declines and higher than expected commodity costs. Home security provider APX Group continues to evaluate its options for addressing its 2020 notes as attrition rates in the business rise. EP Energy reported flat sequential results but borrowed the remaining amount under its revolver subsequent to quarter end and warned that strategic alternatives being discussed by its board include a potential Chapter 11 filing. The company has a coupon payment coming up next week, which Angela will discuss later in the episode. Sticking with energy, Ultra Petroleum lowered production guidance for the full year as the company said it would reduce the number of drilling rigs operating to one in September from two operating at the end of the second quarter. Also last week, the ad hoc group of note holders in the PG&E Chapter 11 cases submitted a statement indicating that, quote, consensus around a competing plan protocol cannot be achieved. Thus, the ad hoc group said that it planned to press its plan exclusivity termination motion at the hearing on August 13th. The ad hoc group also says that it has strengthened its plan term sheet, now providing a commitment for the entire $5.5 billion of new utility-secured notes contemplated under its proposal. Additionally, last week, Knighthead Capital Management filed a 13-D, stating that Knighthead and Abrams Capital Management had, quote, mutually agreed to act in concert to develop a proposal to provide capital commitments in support of a potential plan of reorganization by the company. The parties entered into an agreement on Wednesday, setting the terms and conditions. On Thursday, Abrams and Knighthead submitted a letter to PG&E in which the funds enclosed backstop commitment letters that Abrams and Knighthead have prepared in connection with a proposal to provide equity capital commitments in support of a plan of reorganization. Backstop commitments under the Knighthead and Abrams proposal of an aggregate $1.5 billion consist of $1 billion from Knighthead, $19.1 million from Abrams Capital Partners 1, $287.36 million from Abrams Capital Partners 2, $33.74 million from Whitecrest Partners, $9.8 million from Great Hollow International, and $150 million from Riva Capital Partners. Also last week, the PG&E debtors, the Official Unsecured Creditors Committee, and certain PG&E common stockholders and Columbus Hill Capital Management filed responses to the ad hoc group of wildfire subrogation claim holders' motions seeking to terminate plan exclusivity in order to pursue their plan of reorganization. The ad hoc subrogation group proposed a plan that would refinance short-term funded debt, reinstate long-term funded debt, provide a 70% recovery to subrogation claimants, and a 100% recovery to wildfire claimants. Last Monday, pg e filed a public version of a report with the California Public Utilities Commission as required by Attachment B to its June 29th order, which instituted an investigation. The June 29th investigation is looking into whether PG&E violated any laws or regulations regarding electrical equipment that set off wildfires in 2017 and 2018. And turning to the island of Puerto Rico, in a unanimous decision on Senate President Thomas Rivera Schatz's lawsuit, the Puerto Rico Supreme Court on Wednesday declared unconstitutional the swearing-in of Pedro Pierluisi as governor, clearing the way for Justice Secretary Wanda Vasquez to be sworn into office. After taking office, Vasquez said last Thursday that Puerto Rico needs, quote, peace and stability, and that she intended to serve the remainder of the term through 2020 when voters will elect a new governor. A majority of new Progressive Party officials expressed support for resident Commissioner Jennifer Gonzalez becoming Secretary of State and then stepping into the governor's post if necessary, but Vasquez indicated that she had no plans to resign. 
She said, quote, the governorship, according to the Constitution, belongs to Juan de Vasquez, and I will oversee it for the people. Meanwhile, National Public Finance Guarantee and MBIA Insurance Court filed suit in the Commonwealth's Court of First Instance in San Juan against eight major Wall Street banks to, quote, hold them accountable for inequitable conduct in Puerto Rico's municipal bond market that contributed to Puerto Rico's economic collapse. The filing in Puerto Rico court comes amid a 120-day stay on Title III litigation imposed by U.S. District Judge Laura Taylor Swain. The complaint says the eight banks underwrote more than $66 billion worth of bonds issued between 2001 and 2014 by the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority and the Puerto Rico Highways and Transportation Authority and the Puerto Rico Sales Tax Financing Corp or COFINA, the complaint alleges that the, the, quote, banks inflicted a financial tragedy on the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, its people, and others who relied on the bank's good faith and proper conduct in Puerto Rico's municipal bond market. The PROMESA Oversight Board announced the issuance of a request for proposals, or RFP, to conduct a financial examination of audit, accounting, and other services performed by BDO Puerto Rico since 2016, during which the firm held over 95 contracts subject to over 100 amendments with Commonwealth entities. The Oversight Board said the the probe will determine if the integrity of any of the services provided by BDO were affected by alleged fraudulent activities of the firm's former managing partner, who was recently charged by federal authorities, but noted the probe's focus is financial and that legal actions or remedies are the responsibility of law enforcement authorities. The Oversight Board said that RFP responses are due August 22nd and that it expects to have a final investigation report within 90 days of the commencement of the engagement. Other top stories last week were Barney's New York to pursue going concern sale process aided by $75 million in dip financing from Hillco Global Gordon Brothers. Jack Cooper files for Chapter 11 in Northern District of Georgia and Halcon debtors file plan and disclosure statement showing anticipated 22% recovery for senior notes claims, reorg equity split adjusted for dilution. And filling in this week for Jim, here's Angelo Thalassinos with The Week Ahead. Thanks, Mark, and hello again, credit nerds and enthusiasts. I'm Angelo Thalassinos, one of the deputy managing editors and senior legal analysts for Reorg Americas, and I'm glad to be back providing you with what's coming up in the week ahead. Although we're right in the middle of that summer vacation sweet spot, there are plenty of things going on in the high-yield, stress, distress, and restructuring universe. We will see a cool-down in the sheer number of companies reporting earnings this week compared to last week, but court hearings and restructuring milestones heat up considerably. Sanchez Energy and EP Energy are the companies to watch this week with respect to milestones. Sanchez has a grace period expiring on Wednesday on account of a skipped coupon on its 6 and 1 8 senior notes and a coupon due on its 7 and 1 quarter notes due on Thursday. At the end of last week, sources told Reorg that the company is planning to file for Chapter 11 in the Southern District of Texas as soon as this very weekend. EP Energy has a coupon due on its 8% one half lien notes due 2025 on Thursday, and during its Q2 earnings conference call indicated that it, quote, may skip that payment, although it has sufficient liquidity to pay it. The real excitement in the courtroom this week looks to take place midweek in Judge Dennis Montali's San Francisco courtroom. The calendar is jam-packed, and there will not be any time for a quick jaunt to Tahoe or wine country, not even a stop at God's roadside. 
On Tuesday, Judge Montali is scheduled to consider plan exclusivity termination motions filed by the ad hoc group of note holders and the ad hoc group of subrogation claim holders, respectively. And on Wednesday, the judge will consider the debtor's wildfire claims estimation procedures motion and stay relief motions from the tort claimants committee and the ad hoc subrogation group seeking to continue state court Tubbs Fire-related litigation. Based on comments during a status conference this past Friday, Judge Montali intends to rule on the plaintiff's exclusivity termination motions at the end of oral argument. A slew of other court hearings this week include the continued confirmation hearing and expected decision in the DITEC Chapter 11 cases, a second-day hearing in the Blackhawk Mining Chapter 11 cases, a discovery status conference in the Bristow Chapter 11 cases, the first hearing after the debtors announced an agreement in principle with the UCC, a second-day hearing in the Merge Energy Chapter 11 cases, a further interim dip hearing in the Barney's New York Chapter 11 cases now that Brigade and B. Riley stepped into the dip and agreed to a $218 million dip financing package which would take out the prepetition ABL and term loan debt. Oral argument related to the Law 29 and the Puerto Rico Title III cases, which has been extended twice now considering the turmoil in the governor's office. An omnibus hearing in the Chapter 11 cases of the new Cote debtors, as the case appears to remain contentious between the debtors and sponsor Silverpoint on the one hand, and the ad hoc group of pick note holders on the other hand, as demonstrated by term sheets exchanged indicating a wide, but maybe not insurmountable, gap between the two sides. Companies reporting earnings and or holding conference calls this week include McGraw-Hill, Pacific Drilling, Tapstone Energy, Murray Energy, iHeart, and JCPenney. Also this week, an auction is scheduled with respect to the sale of the Cloud Peak debtors' assets. No stocking horse bidders have been designated to date. As always, stay tuned to Reorg for the latest developments. Thanks, Angelo. And now, as promised, we have Kyle and Brandon, who will run through some LATAM legal disputes. Thanks. I'm Brandon Liu, LATAM Corporate Credit Analyst, and I'm here with LATAM Team Lead and Senior Distressed Analyst Kyle Owusu to discuss developments in legal disputes concerning Mexican offshore driller Oro Negro, Venezuela, and Brazilian offshore driller Constellation, formerly known as QGOG. So, Kyle, let's kick things off with Oro Negro. Uh, What's the state of the play? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Brandon. So right now, uh, we're looking forward to, on August 15th, a hearing on the motion to seal. Um, There was uh, a hearing on the adversary complaint scheduled, um, but that has been postponed. Got it. So let's take a step back. Uh, What is this litigation interest agreement and why does it matter? Sure. So on June 10th, representatives for Perforadora and Integradora filed a motion with the U.S. Bankruptcy Court for the Southern District of New York asking for an order authorizing the debtors to enter into a financing agreement that would allow um, the bankrupt Mexican oil services company to litigate against individuals and entities that they claim have colluded to seize the five jackup rigs. Now, under this uh, so-called litigation agreement, um, CM squared ONLLC as an assignee would, will, is going to pay a, a redacted sum for a participation interest in a portion of any litigation proceeds from claims, causes of action, rights, um, and entitlements that are existing or later arising 
in connection or in any way relating to Oro Negro's Chapter 15 proceedings, including but not limited to the the U.S. litigation. And so the main litigation that the the, the financing agreement uh, is referring to is uh, the, the adversary hearing or the, the, the adversary litigation, rather. Um, so on June 6th, uh, Oro Negro's CEO, um, Gonzalo Jill White, acting personally and as foreign representative of um, Integradora and Perforadora, uh, filed a complaint against the bondholder group, the Singapore Rig Entities and Deutsche Bank Mexico. And so the litigation agreement um, is essentially funding or would, 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 would be funding um, that ongoing litigation against the bondholders. Got it. And so what are the bondholders arguing? So the bondholders are are essentially um, arguing that the litigation agreement itself um, violates the principles um, of, 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 of bankruptcy because um, it, 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 it lacks uh, transparency. They, they haven't even been able to review the, the information. And so you had on, on, on August 6th, actually, um, representatives for the Oro Negro Singapore rig owners um, argued in a memo that um, actually, the Mexico court overseeing Oro Negro's bankruptcy should rule on the the financing agreement before the ancillary the ancillary Chapter Fifteen court um, in New York. Um, and the reason that the the litigation finance agreement um, is important to bondholders is that bondholders are actually making a a four hundred million dollar um, credit bid of sorts. So. Um, Oro Negro, the, the Porforadora and Integradora entities um, actually entered the liquidation phase in, in the uh, Concorso Mercantile in Mexico on June 14th. Um, and so on July 18th, um, holders representing over uh, two-thirds of um, the 939 million seven and a half senior secured bonds due 2019 um uh, you know, told us or told our reporters that they're they're going to be uh, making a bid of around four hundred million um, for all of the assets of Perforadora and Integradora. So um, that for where where does that four hundred million come from? You've got a one hundred seventy five million dollar uh, limited guarantee provided by Integradora, and then rents and past dues from Perforadora that would account for the difference. Um, and so the for the for the bondholders, uh, you know, they basically they are bidding for the assets, as I said, of Integradora and Perforadora. And effectively right now the only assets of Integradora and Perforadora are these contingent litigation proceeds. And so you can imagine that the bondholders um, you know, ha- have an interest uh, from their standpoint in, in, in seeing what this litigation finance agreement says, um, because they are their 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 effect they effect they want to make credit a credit bid um, for the same assets that are the subject of the the financing agreement. Got it. So just to to wrap up and summarize, we have the August fifteenth hearing on the motion to seal, which has to do with the litigation financing agreement with CM Squared ON LLC. Uh, the and this litigation financing agreement would provide CM Squared with a share of potential 
litigation proceeds in exchange for financing Perforadora and Integradora's ongoing litigation against the bondholders and other parties. The bondholders, meanwhile, would like to bid about $400 million of claims for Perforadora and Integradora's assets, namely the same litigation proceeds that could be sold to CM Squared. Uh, so, so August 15th should provide some, some more clarity for us. Um, so moving on to Venezuela and PDVSA, uh, what did the Third Circuit of Appeals decide on July 29th? Sure. So generally speaking, uh, foreign sovereignties and their instrumentalities are entitled to sovereign immunities, uh, or sovereign immunity rather, sorry, uh, which means that the government can't be sued without its consent. The Supreme Court decided in First National City Bank versus Banco para el Comercio Exterior de Cuba, or Bancheck, or Bansec, I'm not sure, exactly sure how it's pronounced, that a judgment creditor can look to the sovereign's instrumentality for satisfaction when it is so extensively controlled by its owner that a relationship of principal and agent is created. Um, there's a presumption of separateness between um, the, the foreign sovereign and its instrumentality. Um, and what the, the, the Third Circuit and, and, and the district court below it essentially concluded was that uh, the relationship between Venezuela and PDVSA um, satisfied the extensive control requirements set forth in, in Banchak, uh, meaning that the, the court can ignore the formal separateness of the two entities. Got it. And so what were the issues here? Yeah, sure. So the issues uh, before the court, according to the opinion, um, was whether the, the Banchak alter ego doctrine determines the district court's jurisdiction to attach Pettivesa's assets, the scope of the Banchak injury and whether its factors or, are satisfied here, and whether Pettivesa's shares of PDVH are immune from attachment under the Sovereign uh, Immunities Act. And, um, you know, in the first instance, the court, uh, you know, concluded that, that when a party shows that an exception to sovereign immunity applies in a merits action um, resulting in a federal judgment, then that same party does not need to establish yet another exception when it registers the, the judgment in another district court. Um, so, so essentially the action before the Delaware district court was a continuation of the action in the DC district court and the DC district court had jurisdiction because of the sovereign immunities act, um, acts arbitration exception. Um, therefore, uh, both courts that follow being the Delaware district court and the third circuit court of appeals also have uh, jurisdiction. Um, turning to the the second issue, uh, the, the 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 third circuit held that the Banchek doctrine uh, can be used to extend the Delaware District Court's jurisdiction in order to reach Pettivesa's assets, even though Pettivesa is a non-party um, to the merits action. Uh, and then with the third issue. Um, you know, Petavesa 
argued that there has to be a nexus between a sovereign's extensive control of its instrumentality and the plaintiff's injury. In other words, uh, Crystal X's injury. The Third Circuit uh, asserted that uh, as long as you have uh, extensive extensive control, that alone is enough. Um, reviewing the facts in Banchek, the, the Third Circuit concluded that um, even though there was no link between uh, Banchek and Cuba's seizure of Citibank's assets, the Supreme Court um, still held that, that Citibank could offset its debt to Banchek with the value of the, the expropriated assets. Okay, nice. And so how did the court apply this uh, Banchek test? So there's five um, Banchek factors that the court analyzed. Um, one, the level of economic control by the government. Two, whether the entity's profits go to the government. Three, the degree to which government officials manage the entity or otherwise have a hand in its daily affairs. Four, whether the government is the real beneficiary of the entity's conduct. And five, whether adherence to separate identities would entitle the foreign state to benefits in U.S. courts while avoiding its obligations. And so, um, yeah, turning to uh, the, the, the first uh, Banchak factor, the Third Circuit uh, concluded that, that Venezuela um, has significant um, economic control over PDVSA. I mean, the court cited the 2011 offering memorandum um, which explained that uh, the state uh, has significant control over PDVSA and the oil industry. The Third Circuit added that Venezuela dictates um, to whom PDVSA must sell oil and at what price and manipulates PDVSA's conversion of U.S. dollars to Venezuelan bolivars to leverage PDVSA's revenue. Um, the Third Circuit also explained that since Venezuela is PDVSA's only shareholder, all profit goes uh, to Venezuela. Um, and Venezuela's uh, president, Nicolas Maduro, appoints PDVSA's president, its directors, its vice presidents, and members of its uh, shareholder council. Um, the court found that PDVSA paid Venezuela's 249,000 administrative fees that were incurred in connection with the Crystal X arbitration. Um, and when Venezuela expropriated Crystal X's mines, Venezuela gave PDVSA a number of mining rights uh, for, for no consideration. Okay, great. Thanks. That's a, that's a lot of good, good color on the, the whole process. Uh, so can you give us an idea of what's next? Yeah, so in terms of what, what's next, um, on July 31st, uh, the Republic of Venezuela filed, filed a motion for an extension to file a petition uh, for a panel rehearing, um, and uh, Venezuela requested a 45-day extension of time to and including September 26th uh, to file the petition. Um, and uh, absent uh, that extension, uh, the petition would have been due on August 12th, uh, but on August 1st, um, the, the Third Circuit Court of Appeals um, uh, ordered that Venezuela and PDVSA's motions were granted. Uh, so now um, we will be looking forward to that uh, September 26th date. 
Interesting. So we could keep following with this one since you've got the petition for a hearing, but I think the big takeaway is that the Third Circuit Court of Appeals agreed with the district court and held that extensive control alone is enough to disregard an instrumentality's separate status. So moving on, finally, we have our last credit. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, we moved back to the offshore space with Brazilian offshore driller Constellation, uh, formerly known as QGOG. And uh, Kyle, so Constellation Oil's RJ looked like it was wrapping up with the enforcement motion filed. Uh, what's what's going on? What's the latest with that? Yeah, sure. So, so yeah, you're right. I mean, um, we we sort of thought that the uh, it was sort of winding down, even though you did have some outstanding appeals. Um, but yeah, uh, the the foreign representative filed a motion in the U.S. Bankruptcy Court uh, for the Southern District of New York requesting uh, enforcement of the RJ plan uh, in the United States um, on July 17th. The the rights offering was also launched, um, and then on uh, you saw a, a the the objections come in on on July 30th. Um, so you had the the Alperton objection. So Constellation's former JV partner uh, Alperton Capital said that uh, it, it it intends to post a ten million dollar letter of credit as security um, in ext- in connection with a request in an ongoing arbitration um, for the arbitral tribunal to reinstate an injunction that was originally awarded uh, against uh, Constellation. So the what the injunction would have prohibited Constellation from pledging the 45% equity interest in the Amarillina and Laguna uh, entities. Um, and the Emeralina and Laguna entities, by way of background, those own the Emeralina and Laguna vessels. Um, and so they, they, they figure very prominently in the debtor's plan. And so that injunction would, would certainly throw a monkey wrench in, in, into the whole, uh, I think, in, into the plan. Um, and uh, the, the arbitral tribunal dissolved um, the the award um, on May 31st because of Alperton's failure to post this $10 million bond. And so Alperton said in its objection that if its request is granted, it will then seek recognition and enforcement of the injunction in Brazil. Um, now, Alperton also has appeals that are ongoing in Brazil and Alperton said in the the objection that each of these proceedings is uh, highly active and moving forward in real time. Um, and in the the Pimco objection, uh, Pimco really um, sort of focused on uh, the the fairness of the RJ plan. Um, the 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 objection argues that the RJ plan ignores uh, the the pending appeals in Brazil. Um, the, the PIMCO said that the, the debtor's plan is unfair, uh, highly coercive and prejudicial. Um, the, the investment manager contended that QGOG, um, arbitrarily manipulated the voting process in what PIMCO called a classically capricious manner. Um, because even though PIMCO's entities had a majority in number of the class of secured claims for each debtor of the 2024 nodes voting on the RJ plan, the 89 PIMCO entities were considered one entity for voting purposes, uh, while allegedly parties that supported the RJ plan had all of their votes counted 
regardless of whether or not um, those votes were were uh, man. The, sorry, regardless of whether or not those parties were managed by the same investment manager. Um, PIMCO also argues that the plan unfairly va- favors um, Brazilian bank Bradesco because it the, the plan elevates 130 million of, of previously unsecured debt held by Bradesco to secure debt with liens, which would be pari passu to liens granted to non-participating note holders on the current collateral that secures um, the 2024 notes of which PIMCO was a, uh, a holder. So you effectively had um, the the enforcement motion and then the objections come in, um, one from Alperton, one from PIMCO. Um, and Judge Glenn on, on August 1st um, released an order that, that said the interest of creditors and other interested parties uh, must be sufficiently protected. Um, and Judge Glenn uh, stayed um, the stayed uh, Constellation's motion to enforce except for discovery that the parties could contemplate in connection with that motion. Um, Constellation then uh, subsequently filed a reply on August 6th um, arguing that, that, that PIMCO's argument is misleading and omits key facts. Um, Constellation says that the changes that were made to the plan were beneficial to creditors um, including PIMCO, um, noting that uh, PIMCO had the right to voice its objections to the RJ plan throughout the process, um, and uh, that um, PIMCO's claim um, that the RJ plan was uh, improperly approved um, on the basis of numerosity um, is not sufficient um, because uh, the principle adopted by the court of treating Investments, fu- investment funds um, as one vote can't be said to be unfair or unreasonable um, when it pr- would prevent one investment manager holding uh, a relatively small amount of debt from distorting the voting process. Um, the, 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 the reply goes on to talk about um, PIMCO's argument uh, that the, 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 that PIMCO would recover um, more in a liquidation scenario. Um, and the reply argues that this best interest test um, is a requirement for confirming Chapter 11 plans, but it really isn't uh, a recognizable standard under Brazilian bankruptcy law. Um, regarding the, the PIMCO's argument about Bradesco, um, the, 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 the reply points out that Bradesco committed to maintain a $30 million credit line and provide a new $10 million term loan, meaning that Constellation had to grant Bradesco certain liens secured by the same collateral securing uh, the participating and non-participating notes. Great. So, so a lot of recent developments there, uh, and, and there have been some. There's been some news on the rigs as well, right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, back in August, uh, 2018, um, the Brava Star had been awarded a contract with Shell um, for a campaign of four wells. Uh, we um, confirmed that it, the contract was expected to last for up to a year or for one year rather. Um, and the day rate was 130,000. Um, but more recently, uh, so July, uh, 9th, um, Laguna star got the, got it, got a two year contract with Petrobras. 
Um, the the rig's day rate um, was reported at around 155,000 to 160,000 by a number of sources, but you know we couldn't confirm the exact amount. Um, and then you had on July 22nd. Uh, the the Gold Star, Lone Star, and Alpha Star semi-submersible rigs um, also awarded two-year contracts. The release didn't include a day rate, um, so you basically have, or you have, you, yeah, you sorry, you have um, the the, the Bravo Star drill ship, the Laguna Star drill ship, and the three semi subs um, all on uh, contracts. Um, but the problem is the contracts are ranging probably from one hundred thirty thousand to one hundred sixty thousand. Um, and floater OPEX is around 150,000. So, I mean, it's a positive that you're putting these back to work. Um, it's better than having the rigs sit idle. Um, it's probably easier to market rigs that are back to work, but um, they are working at, at, at pretty low rates. Got it. So, so, yeah, that's definitely interesting. You've got the semi subs back to work, but but just at break-even levels, like you said. Uh, it'll, it'll definitely be very interesting to see how Judge Glenn resolves some of these issues. Uh, so that about puts a wrap on our, uh, our LATAM deep dive. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks, guys. And thank you for listening to another Reorg Weekly Review. As always, you can find all of our podcasts on the site's media page, iTunes, and SoundCloud. This has been The Week in Reorg, and I'm Connor Skelting. <laughs>